Welcome to the Pain Podcast, presented by Le Peuple Scientifique. We are thrilled to bring you a platform that unites clinicians, researchers, and pain advocates in sharing a pursuit, understanding pain. In this series of podcasts, we aim to bridge the gap between scientific knowledge and practical applications in the field of pain. Our episodes will feature insightful discussions with leading experts, exploring the latest research findings, innovative treatments and emerging trends in the realm of pain. Whether you are a healthcare professional seeking evidence-based practices, a researcher diving into the depths of the pain mechanisms, or a dedicated advocate striving to improve the lives of individuals in pain, you are welcome. Check out our website, get confident and competent in treating pain. Start today. Hello and welcome again to the Pain Podcast presented by Le Pup Scientifique. My name is Bart van Buchem. I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist and I'm your host today. Um, I'm excited today uh, for having Alessandro Chiarotto, Dr. Alessandro Chiarotto, um, with me um, as he uh, agreed to, to join me in this uh, uh, conversation about his work. Um, and as he is an assistant professor, at uh, Erasmus uh, Medical Center in Rotterdam, uh, trained as a physiotherapist uh, a while ago. You have some clinical experience, but you made that switch to the uh, the research and uh, you did your um, PhD in Amsterdam, if I'm correct, and um, mainly focusing on the prognosis treatment and, sorry, diagnosis, prognosis and treatment in low back pain. Um, widely published um, a range of publications which are massively relevant for the field of the treatment of pain and as low back pain is the most burdensome probably and one of the most common pain problems uh, in the world um, I think his work has been massively important to everyone in the field here so uh, one welcome uh, Alessandro thank you for joining me thank you Bart thank you for inviting me for this uh, to this podcast Absolutely, it's um it's a pleasure, and um um yeah. So so uh, we just jump in, right? So um we will leave some um, notes in in the um within the podcast. You can learn about Alessandro a bit more if you want to know his publications. We'll leave a research gate profile if you like uh, to make it have a nice um, curation of your work. But um, I'm actually interested in in what is actually excites you in your work and. Um, what is the direction you take and will take in the future? Yeah, so as you have said already, uh, I made a switch from uh, clinical practice to clinical research. So, and, and then the main reason for that is that I was uh, very excited about doing research and finding uh, better ways to help people living with uh, pain conditions. And uh, my research has focused uh, mainly on low back pain because that's the most burdensome condition. And uh, having uh, an epidemiological perspective in my research, uh, that helps because uh, we, we are dealing with a, with a very burdensome public health uh, problem. Uh, having said this, uh, my research has focused mainly on uh, outcome measures. During my PhD, I developed a core outcome measurement set for low back pain clinical trials. So I started with a rather methodological uh, research 
And uh, in the more recent years, I have moved to more clinical research to improve the diagnosis, prognosis, and treatment of patients with low back pain. And that's what interests me the most. So finding ways to improve the diagnosis, prognosis, and the treatment of people living with low back pain. So, so if you, if that's all right, um, I've got a few questions on that. Um, so, uh, uh, as a clinician, you you've been trained as a physiotherapist. I think you have your own bias and your own views on on what diagnosis and prognosis means. So, what what is that switch? What have you found as a now as a researcher compared to being a clinician? What is the difference? So, how did did your views change, and how did they change? Yeah, I think my views changed uh, over time. So when I started doing research, I still had my bias uh, as a clinician. And then as time uh, passed by working with people who were mainly epidemiologists, had a strong influence on my view of uh, things. So now I know that uh, certain things that you think or think to see as a clinician uh, might not be uh, as they are in uh, clinical research. For example, I have, we have done some research on the uh, magnitude of the placebo effect in patients with low back pain. And uh, we have seen that uh, in a first systematic review with meta-analysis, we saw that there is uh, uh, an effect of placebo effects as compared to no interventions in uh, clinical trials. And more recently, we wanted to investigate uh, how much of the effect that we see in clinical trials is due to the uh, natural course regression to the mean or to the placebo effects of the interventions. And we saw that 50% of the improvement that people have in clinical trials is due to uh, is due to natural course regression to the mean, so to non-specific effects of treatment, uh, mm. excluding the placebo effects. That's work still unpublished. Uh, but uh, as a clinician, the improvement that you probably see in clinical practice, uh, you reflect it as an improvement of your own treatment. Mm. But in, in reality, that's probably not the case. It's a combination of various factors, including the natural course of the disease and, uh, and the placebo effects related to your treatment. And also, of course, the specific effects of a certain treatment. Mm. Did you find that challenging for yourself or your own biases and, and maybe changing your, your existing beliefs and uh, uh, um, sort of embrace that new reality, if you like? I found it a little bit challenging at the beginning, to be honest, but that uh, was already some years ago. Because, as I said, working with people who don't have a clinical background helped me a lot in making a shift, let's say, mm. on uh, how I see things. Nowadays, I don't find it uh, challenging anymore. I have uh, an almost uh, pure research perspective. And uh, I know that clinicians who are well-educated on evidence-based practice and uh, these concepts, they have... Uh, uh, they appreciate uh, the importance of research and they understand what this research is for. That is mainly to help them in their daily work to find more effective treatments, for example. Mm. 
we can we can um, elaborate on that a bit more later. But I just want to stick with the um, with the thing you said about the regression to the mean. So, in for a clinician, it's part of the the the, the changes you see. Right? I wouldn't say effect because it's from a scientific point of view, it's not an effect, obviously. But do you feel like it's still important? Or how would you consider to do regression to a mean? Is that a bad thing? Is, is it a natural thing? Or is it something you have to be aware of? So what would you what would your go on that? Yeah, as a okay. clinician, I think it's something that you need to be aware of. So the patient is looking for help in the moment in which he or she probably has the highest uh, uh, influence. Uh, as the, the, the his uh, health condition has the highest influence on his uh, pain or daily functioning, mm -hmm. so that's the moment when uh, patient look for help. So mm -hmm. I think that's something that uh, you need to take into account, and then you need to be honest and transparent with the patient, uh, especially if it's an acute condition, that the condition will go away by itself partially. And that the treatment is just a mean to help that natural recovery or the fact that because of the pain reached a certain point, so what's the regression to the mean? The pain reached a certain point that goes better uh, by itself. Yeah. So what will be a typical regression to the mean change or effect in, in a person treating a patient with acute low back pain? In the clinic, how do you see it? How do you is it? Are you, is it possible to see it or to sort of uh, identify it? Well, as a researcher, I always look at the data, so I'm used to to look at that. So, for example, uh, in in the prevent trial, it's uh, the trial that was conducted in Australia a few years ago on pain education in patients with acute low back pain. And these were also patients that had a high risk of uh, developing a chronic uh, complaint, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, the, you could see in that trial that the, the patients had a sharp decrease of pain in both groups. And that was of quite a few points on the numeric rating scale. So that it's possible that with a patient, and these were patients that, as I said, as a, at high risk of developing chronic pain. So it's mm -hmm. possible that in these patients, you have an improvement that is due to regression to the mean. In clinical trials, you can see that more sharply. That it's really due. That it's really uh, that occurs in a very short period of time, for quite some points on a numeric rating scale. Mm -hmm. And so that so in the clinic you would identify it as pain that is in a short amount of time it reduces quite dramatically. Yeah. So that could be a, a regression to the mean, and that's yeah. what combination like, of regression to the mean and natural cause. A natural cause, yes, of course. And, and so, what, what? How does the placebo effect? Because it's a different thing, right? So that's not the same. So what will be the difference? What will be the pla the placebo effect? Um, in, in this case, as a course of, of the trajectory of a patient in pain, maybe some reduction or even... I think the placebo effect is hard to measure. There are some researchers that are focusing on ways to improve the placebo effect in clinical practice. 
And uh, they have done some excellent work in providing some overview papers on these uh, mechanisms. And uh, I think that uh, uh, that's hard to measure, but it's certainly there. So it's also mm -hmm. something that clinicians should be aware of. And uh, they, as they should be aware of the nocebo effect that also their treatment may cause. Mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, systematic review that I mentioned before, that uh, again, it's work unpublished, it's under review. Uh, we saw that uh, also there is a, a good percentage of uh, improvement uh, related to treatment that is due to placebo effect. It's smaller than what is due to natural course and regression to the mean. So and less than five, 15%. Yeah, less, less than 50%. Yeah, it's less than 50%. And uh, it's uh, the, the, what's also good to mention because we talked about uh, acute low back pain so far, but in this review, we only found the trials in patients with chronic low back pain. So also in patients with chronic low back pain, we saw that uh, the improvement uh, uh, due to placebo effects was there uh, as it was the natural course and uh, the regression to the mean phenomenon. Mm. So I can see there's a difference because it, I think it would be harder to, to, to exclude the placebo or identify the placebo as you can identify the regression to the mean or the natural cause that's kind of predictable is that correct so you can see those are the variables that you actually may be able to uh, identify like natural cause could be more be identified because of the ways how tissue healing goes mm -hmm. or expected in six weeks or four weeks of some some degree of tissue damage is that what you relate to and then there is this non-specific effect in your patient interaction or the encounter or just life and expectations that has this sort of a, well, it's still a strong effect probably, it's still relevant, it's still significant, I guess. Um, that is part of the, the overall uh, effect itself. Effect, yeah. And effect itself, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So there are these different components, indeed they play a role and uh, that, uh, also, there are the specific effects of the treatment, and then it, it depends. It really depends on the treatment that you are uh, administering to the patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, that my the goal of my research is to find out which treatments uh, have uh, more beneficial effects in patients with low back pain. In a specific, and, yeah, in a specific effect. Yeah, specific effects of treatment. Yes. And then ideally, you would like to see in research, you would like to see a, a placebo controlled trial mm. for uh, physiotherapy interventions, for example. So that you could you really give a placebo control to the patients uh, who are uh, uh, receiving an intervention that is conservative. So it could be like a sort of physiotherapy intervention. But these type of trials are uh, very rare. There are not many. So sometimes it's very difficult to disentangle for us what is due to the uh, specific effects of treatment and what is not. But there are a few interesting examples of uh, this type of trials. One is the one I mentioned before, the, the PREVENT trial that was published back in 2019. 
And then one trial that was published last year in JAMA is the trial on graded sensory motor retraining for patients with chronic low back pain. And in that trial, we had a comparison with a real placebo intervention. And that trial is particularly interesting because uh, they found quite some results in favor of the real intervention. So in that case, you could say that the improvements are probably due to the intervention that was, that was administered in that uh, trial because there is an adequate uh, control for the placebo effects. Mm. So why is a one point, because I know this trial, obviously. So why is a one point um, difference in favor of the treatment exciting? I'm talking well, about the placebo that was also doing pretty well in that trial. Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, one point is exciting, but it really depends on the comparator of the trial. So in that case, uh, it's exciting, I think, because it's at long term in that trial. So that was maintained at one, one point at long term uh, between group difference. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh, overall, I would say that one point compared to a placebo intervention it would not be very exciting. It really depends on the comparator you have, and in that case, it's a placebo. So you would like your intervention to be much better of a placebo, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you would like to have more than one point improvement, perhaps. But uh, we know that for low back pain, there are not many treatments that when they are compared to placebo have more than one point improvement. Mm. For example, the improvement that medications have compared to placebo is less than one point. So I think that's what was, uh, what was the reason that excited many people about the trial, the fact that we don't see this type of improvements for chronic low back pain uh, compared to placebo very often. and. Uh, and for me, at least, I would say that that's my perspective. The fact that this was maintained at uh, one year, and uh, that's what was the most exciting result, because usually the, we see improvements in the first two, three months, and then they, these improvements, they vanish, they disappear. Yes. So what have you learned as a researcher from this point of view, seeing this data? And actually, you can see there is some specific effects in what we call like, a, I think, a biopsychosocial approach for low back pain, which is it was conducted as such with, I think, an evidence-based practice approach or with a modern view on pain treatment. Um, so what have you learned from and what is the direction? Is that something, yeah, we have to stick to this. This is the right direction and we can improve. This is can be even better, or is this like this is what we the best as we can possible possibly get in terms of results for low back pain? Well, I think as a researcher, you learn uh, every day something new because it really depends on what other colleagues are doing around the world, and you see every day uh, something new. So you you learn by reading and uh, uh, looking at the work of other people, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, more recently, there was uh, this trial published in The Lancet on a cognitive functional therapy for uh, chronic low back pain. 
that show astonishing results in favor of uh, chronic cognitive functional therapy as compared to usual care in patients with chronic low back pain. Mm -hmm. And also there, there were quite uh, some clinically relevant uh, differences between groups. It was, again, a, a trial, not a placebo control one, but a pra pragmatic trial, uh, in which uh, we saw, again, sustained effects at long term. So you learn every day and you, we know mm -hmm. that this biopsychosocial uh, perspective, that is what is integrated in the cognitive functional approach, for example, is uh, certainly here to stay at the moment because of the results of these trials that we mentioned before, I believe. But as a researcher, I always uh, uh, I have the feeling that sometimes something is left out, out in this uh, biopsychosocial perspective. For example, the, we know that the bio... Uh, is uh, is given more attention is given sorry less attention in recent years and also we know that the social is very difficult to tackle sometimes uh, with research mm. so i think there is uh, there are i am an optimistic so i think there are uh, margins for improvement uh, within the biopsychosocial framework uh, that we still need to explore and uh, for example, one line of research that excites me is uh, trying to find something more specific in the non-specific low back pain label. So that uh, uh, could be an area of research that warrants more investigation because uh, uh, there might be some subgroups of people in the non-specific low back pain group mm. that uh, uh, that have more biologically related issues and uh, that uh, could uh, benefit from other treatments, from very different treatments, actually. Yeah. So could you give me an idea of what the potential direction would be when, when you mention the specifics in a non-specific diagnosis yeah certainly well we for example one example that we already have in the literature that is more or less clear is that patients with modic changes and disc herniation benefit from receiving antibiotics so uh, and that's quite uh, i think uh, surprising for some people but at the same time, not for people who are more into the pathophysiology of these modic changes that occur in the vertebrae, in the people with chronic low back pain. Mm. And uh, this type of uh, treatment is a treatment uh, that has shown quite uh, some efficacy in placebo-controlled trials, although we have two large trials that have investigated that. And one of them has shown astonishing large effects, whereas the other, not really, but still shows some effects. So we probably need more research in that area to really explore whether antibiotics are efficacious for this group of people with chronic low back pain with modic changes. Mm. That, that, that's one area of research that is already out there for example, and uh, for some people to, if they want to look at the results of the trials that are readily available. 
Mm. But we don't we don't understand, we still don't understand the pathophysiology and the mechanism of this intervention yet. Yeah. That's what needs to be investigated further. Of course. And and would it be something like genetics and, and profiling um to create individually individualized medicine, for example, as that's a hot topic, especially in, in within oncology. Um, trying to find that so every patient needs it probably in different angle or target therapy. It could be either maybe a more social intervention, or the other one needs a more psychologist, psychology-based intervention. Some people need that like training, maybe even antibiotics at some point, because they are more likely to respond to that treatment. Is that what you're aiming for? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, uh, I think, a very ambitious goal to arrive to individualize treatment in patients with low back pain. But um, it's something that uh, I think someone should aim for, certainly. And there are some researchers that are working hard in that field. One of them is, for example, Pradeep uh, Suri, from the University mm. of Washington that is working a lot on genetics for low back pain and has published uh, some uh, what's what they are called GWAS studies or genome-wide association studies to really uh, trying to work more on the uh, on, in, in that direction mm. it's it's a challenging direction because it requires a very good knowledge of genetic uh, uh, epidemiology, for example. So not uh, every one of us can really work in that direction, but uh, it's certainly good that there are some people who are working on that. And that uh, as it happens in other fields, you mentioned oncology is probably one of the most active ones, but uh, there are other fields in which they are working hard on that. And I think it's important uh, to do research also in the field of low back pain uh, as well. So what would you consider as the not go-to therapy approach um, for chronic low back pain with the knowledge you have right now? So what is the unlike? So you, I think there are trials that shown no or maybe even adversive um, effects uh, in treatment so what is the um, as a therapist I, I would say well i feel comfortable with a comfortable with a more or less biopsychosocial approach and uh, but is there an area which i which is very unlikely to be helpful for people and therefore maybe we just have to leave that is that is that can i say that <laughs> yeah it's a very good question i think and uh, for uh, if we look at the world of uh, the world of physiotherapy, we see that uh, uh, if looking only mainly at conservative interventions, we know that every intervention has some effect. Also, more uh, let's say narrowly uh, directed interventions, like it could be massage therapy, for example. Uh, it has some small effects, but uh, we know that uh, an integration of more concepts in a biopsychosocial framework has tend to show a larger effect in clinical trials. So that's probably the direction to go to. Uh, what is the direction not to go to is probably that of uh, 
purely biomedical interventions. Uh, so like I, I, the first one that comes to my mind is uh, surgery. Also because we, we don't have a lot of research on surgery for patients with chronic low back pain. And the research we have, uh, uh, we don't have, for example, placebo controlled trials. So we don't really know uh, in that population how the surgery would perform to a pure placebo. And that's also an intervention that has higher costs and an intervention that has uh, that has some potential side effects. So mm. it would be challenging, I think, for patients with chronic low back pain who don't have a pure uh, cause, a clean, not pure, a clear cause for their low back pain to go, for example, to undergo, for example, a surgical treatment. Mm. But that's your question. Maybe was referring more to physiotherapy. Is did they get uh, not necessarily? No, I was also thinking about opioids and yeah. um, anti-inflammatories in general. Yeah, we know opioids. There is a nice review published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine from uh, uh, an American group published a few years back that showed the effect of opioids in patients with chronic low back pain. And there was a small effect uh, in, uh, in favor of opioids. Mm -hmm. Opioids, I think, is a, is a hot topic at the moment because of the recently published uh, OPAL trial in patients with acute. And, but it's again, it's acute uh, back and neck pain mm -hmm. showing no effect for opioids in patients with acute and uh, acute back and neck pain. But uh, yeah, in patients with chronic, probably the effect is a little bit larger from what we know from the evidence, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's probably also not a very worthwhile uh, intervention because it has important uh, side effects in the long term, especially mm -hmm. if people keep on using them. Uh, there is a risk of addiction and uh, risk of other, for example, cardiovascular disease and other uh, health conditions. Mm. So I think that makes a lot of sense and it feels like it's uh, the mindset of most therapists is that we probably do always do something biomechanical, something like, because even an encounter, having a person in a room and uh, this, 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 Clinical encounter also in, involves some of, like I said, the non-specific effects. So my last question would be: What would be a, a more specific effect in in this situation, where you actually trying to help a person? So, so just besides of being gentle and nice and warm, if you like, and trying to to uh, um, be a nice person. So what will be a specific effect within the context of an, a clinical encounter that you will say that's not placebo and it's not a regression to the mean-ish, it's it's a specific effect, although it's a more, maybe it's a more effect of something you do, but what happens in a clinical encounter. I'm not sure if I presented this correctly, but- Yeah, I think I understand <laughs> what you mean. Okay. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, that uh, I think uh, addressing the main issues of uh, the patients would yeah. uh, 
would be important. So first of all, identify these issues, whether they are functional issues, so related to daily functioning, or whether they are uh, issues related to psychosocial uh, factors. For example, if there are some psychosocial factors playing a strong role in the patient's presentation, and uh, for example, if they have some if they have some poor self-efficacy beliefs or if they have some pain catastrophization about their pain. So I think identifying these issues would be important and then trying to do something that is more cognitive to trying to address these issues mm. uh, would be important. And that would be something more specific to the presentation of, uh, of the patient. Mm. Yeah, that would be hard because I can see that happening in, for example, education, you can give sham education. and But in terms like the trial you mentioned, um, if you want to design a trial for the CFT, for the cognitive functional therapy, how would a sham look like? Could you, could you give an example of uh, uh, I, I think uh, there is a trial, there is a sham trial uh, for CFP. If, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, that is in a, I could be mistaken very well in this case, but it okay. is in Brazil, I think. Okay. And uh, I haven't uh, looked at that into great detail, but uh, it's not, uh, uh, I think that would be really hard and really challenging to design an appropriate placebo. There is some guidance on how to do that. And I don't know if the authors uh, did a good job or not. I have no, no mm. clue at the moment, but it, I agree with you. It would be very challenging. And yeah. uh, it would be probably possible uh, as it was done for other interventions. Uh, but we will see when, uh, when, when, when the if the results of the trial come out, then we will all look at into that critically to see whether uh, the placebo was an adequate uh, reflection or not. Yes, yes, that's interesting. Absolutely. All right, um, my my very 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 last question, Alessandra. So I'm just gonna leave you there with um. So if you can invite to one or two people, um, you like to join for a like a proper drink in a pub uh they don't have to be alive so you can bring in anyone you can think of uh to talk about this stuff we're talking about so would there be two people that springs to mind that you want to invite for that chat well it's a different question and uh, very a very good a very good one uh but to talk about, you mean to talk about low back pain research? Yeah, in every in, in the context of maybe more broadly, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, I would probably invite. I, I will not come up with names, but uh, I would probably invite people who have uh, uh, who who work in different fields. So to explain um, what are the issues in our uh, research field. And uh, maybe people from the psychiatric uh, field uh, or psychology, psychiatric field, because uh, there might be similar issues in uh, other fields of research that we don't know or that we don't frequently encounter. 
but uh, when I did my master degree, then I studied different uh, subjects. I had to undertake courses on different subjects. And I could see that the same issues sometimes in maybe in the, in the low back pain thing, field, I think we are critical enough about what we do uh, as researchers. And uh, sometimes in other fields, I see similar issues. So I would uh, probably uh, take on a discussion with researchers from other fields and compare mm. the issues of uh, uh, relative effectiveness, efficacy, and uh, so on uh, with other fields uh, and uh, see what really comes out of the discussion. And uh, uh, I'm sure it will come out something very similar that we ha they have uh, similar issues. Yeah, yeah, and finding some inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> to, and to find some on. inspiration, of course. Of course. Yes, that would be nice. All right, Alessandro. So thank you so much for joining. Um, for you and people listening, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and hit the buttons, whatever. Uh, tell everyone you know about this <laughs> and it will be much appreciated. Um, uh, have a look at their website, lipupscientific.com and check out for more clinical um, clinical um challenges and solutions we're trying to help you out uh, in your professional development so for you uh, alessandro thank you so much this was a, a pleasure to have you here and um, lovely yeah yeah thank you bart thank you very much for the invitation i appreciate it no worries and um we enjoy this it's going to be definitely very very helpful so if you have got questions just drop them um in, at our socials uh, or in the pop hub on facebook so you we can try to keep, keep this conversation going um and if we got like really tough questions we will know to we're nowhere to find alessandro to to forward uh, uh and uh, ask his opinion on that so thank you for listening and see you next time